Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Carrie. And I'm Tanya. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode 129. Today we are talking about real music and school music, bridging the gap. We'll also talk about our highs and lows from the week, discuss some ideas in our Know Better, Do Better segment, share a work smarter, not harder teacher tip. And in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things we are enjoying in and out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. And it's time for our highs and lows, where we talk about something awesome or not so often awesome that happened during the school week. But before, a little plug for the Oak Conference, that's the Organization of American Kodai Educators, that's happening March 16th through the 19th in Jacksonville, Florida, a couple weeks away. And Carrie and I will be presenting a session called Bright Ideas for New Performance Traditions. It's on Saturday from 1015 to 1115. Please show up. We would love to see you there. We're very excited um, about our session and the whole conference is going to be wonderful as always. Really looking forward to it. All right. So highs, lows, Carrie. Well, it's just going to be kind of a, a general low. So first of all, if my voice sounds a little scratchy or tired, it's because it is. I think I've been fighting off something all week. And so all of a sudden this morning, now my voice sounds weird and I'm a little sniffly. And that really is related to my low, which is that, don't don't be like Carrie. Um, I planned way too much big things um, for the foreseeable future of my school year. Um, so like this week or next week, you know, sometime in the next couple of weeks, I'm taking my students to the symphony, which is great. And then, you know, we're presenting at Oak, which is amazing. So thankful for that. And then as soon as we get back, I'm working on a second grade program and a fifth grade program and a choir concert. And yes, while I know all of this is all very typical and par for the course as, you know, music educators in the spring, I think it's hitting me harder than usual because, you know, normally I'm better about spacing things out throughout the school year but being at my new school this year a lot of things just kind of got pushed back to the spring because i was like getting to know the kids and trying to figure out what i wanted to do and what they were ready to do and so all that to say i planned way too much for the spring and i'm kind of overextending myself and that's probably why i'm getting sick so be like carrie this this is or don't be like carrie <laughs> be like carrie this year who's going to plan better for next year i'm already excited about getting concerts and programs and all events on the calendar for next year before i leave for the summer this year um just because i don't want a repeat of this again because it's a lot when you just have in addition to your daily teaching all of these extra things piled on top it's a lot so i'm a little overwhelmed i'll get through it Lots of checklists and lots of to-do lists, but it'll, it'll all happen. It always does. It does. Yeah. So, that's a lot. Yeah. That's my life right now. How about you, Tanya? What's going on? Well, funny you say, because um, mine is sickness related as well. And I know our last podcast, I had COVID and I missed almost a full week of school. But even when I came back, we had something going on in our school called Ninja Nation. So it was a different schedule. Um, so there's a group of students that I missed a whole week with, right? Yeah. So Monday, actually, you know, week, weekend Tanya and Monday morning Tanya thought that I could just Frankenstein my lessons so that I could get this particular group caught up to the other groups. And um, by Monday afternoon, I realized, you know what? That's not going to happen like that. So here's, wow, there's just no, there's nothing like teaching actual students, right? right? You can build beautiful year plans, lesson plans, short range plans, scope and see, you can build beautiful things all by yourself when you're not taking into consideration what students can actually do. It's right. huge, right? So yeah, by Monday afternoon, I was like, there's just no way I can get in all this with every grade level. Um, and so I, I just, I don't like my groups of students not being on the same page, 
you know, basically, but that's just how it's going to have to be for a little while because it was like an entire week that I missed and you cannot play catch up with real life students. So all of this to say, I mean, I've, I've learned this lesson before. Why do I not, not listen to me? Um, because the whole element of the actual kids in the room makes a huge difference, which is why from time to time you'll hear Carrie and I talk about like um, when you're when you're listening to uh, music mentors, music teacher mentors, or people on Instagram or people in any social media or blog posts or whatever, it makes a difference to learn from people who are actually teaching real children yeah. in the music classroom, yeah. right? Because I've seen some beautiful work from people who are not currently teaching children. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, disparaging anybody's gig or lifestyle or whatever they're doing for whatever. Of course, people have to make choices for their situation. I get that. But Wow, it just makes a difference when you take into consideration the actual kids in the room and what you can teach them and and how their skills can grow and you know the differences between students in each classroom and between classes and in a school population. It's huge. So anyway, that's a low. I have learned again that um, something on paper is not going to necessarily translate into the actual classroom. And you have to let your own students guide what you are going to do next. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's time for today's main theme, which we are calling Real Music and School Music, Bridging the Gap. And this topic was inspired by uh, an email we got from a colleague from here in Colorado, a music educator, Nicholas, who was also a master's student with Kodai Emphasis at CSU. So we know Nicholas for a long time. Yes. And he wrote a very kind email, thank you, Nicholas, about you know appreciating some of the past work we've done, especially when it comes to really trying to focus more on representation, making sure that students are seeing themselves in the music that we are putting in front of them and kind of the the journey, so to speak, that Tanya and I have been on in, in that way. Um, and so he asked a, a pretty broad question that led to the inspiration of this topic, which is, I'm just gonna read the last sentence of his email, which is, how do you make sure that the kids know the music they're listening to is a better reflection of all humans when you spend so much time in you being the collective you, not just us, but I think especially Kodai-inspired teachers. But anyways, when you spend so much time on literacy skills, singing games, instrument technique, etc. So really, I think it comes down to especially in Kodai music education, but also in ORF inspired music education and Dalcrose inspired music education. We talk so much about active music making and the importance of that. And that's definitely something we want to continue to uphold. We want kids doing music, experiencing music, making music, creating music. Responding to music is equally important. And I think sometimes it might almost get a bad rap when our focus becomes so much on the active music making. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't have active listening, and there's ways that we can incorporate active listening where students are not just listening, but analyzing, interpreting, and then also responding or playing along with the music or creating music inspired by, and that's where world music pedagogy really comes into play. So I'm kind of throwing a lot of uh, things out there, but really I think the, the topic boils down to how can we continue to have representation in the music that students are not only experiencing through active music making, but also listening to and analyzing and enjoying. And how can we bridge that gap? You know, we always talk about how students sometimes see a gap between the music they do at school in music class with us and the music they listen to at home. And how Absolutely. can we make sure they understand that music is music? And yes, it, it is my job to expose you to different music you might not listen to at home, but that doesn't mean the music you listen to at home is invalid. And how can we understand that it's all music? So right. that's yeah. the broad topic we're going to try to cover today. So thank and you, this, Nicholas, yes, for posing thank you the so question. much, Nicholas. I've been thinking about this for several years. Because my opinion and 
has has greatly changed dramatically over the last few years. And I had an attitude and a philosophy earlier on in my career that I don't really hold now. So early in my career, my thinking was, okay, we need to be doing active music ma making so you can be musically fluent. So you can read, write, improvise, create melodies, love music and enjoy music in the music classroom. And we should be choosing, we by me, um, music teachers should be choosing music of the highest quality um, that is really going to be very joyful. Um, and it didn't include music that kids might listen to on their own or in their house or on the radio. And the reason for that, and it was, you know, kind of short-sighted was that, well, that's music that you're going to educate yourself on anyway. I want to make sure we spend our time in the music room focused on music that you might not be exposed to, right? Well, yes, but then this creates that whole idea that you mentioned earlier, Carrie, about how this is classroom music, that music in school, and then this is the music that I love. It's it's a different thing. They're different worlds. And we want to bridge that gap and we want to show, hey, listen, the music um, concepts, the basic structures of music are all over in the music on the radio, what you hear at home, what you might do with your family, what we do in the music room. Like we want that understanding to take hold with within the students that we teach. Um, Dr. Rachel Gibson, she, I, I've heard her say it several times. She advocates culture first, music second. And I love the idea of we want to humanize everyone by honoring their culture, a big part of their culture is music, no matter who we're talking about, right? So yeah. being music specialists, we're highlighting the music part of cultures for understanding across many different styles, genres, cultures in music. And so now my, I, my, my thought process is like, how can I make sure that even my youngest kids see a connection between the music that they love and they listen to and the music that we're doing in the music room. And so in order to do that, you, something's got to give, right? right? So I, this year, <clears throat> being at a new school, um, deliberately decided, okay, here's my clean slate. Not that I wasn't doing this before, but um, I really said, okay, I'm I, no one knows really me in this new school. So I want to make sure that I am doing more than giving lip service to music of other cultures and a musician of the day or a musician of the month or week idea. But I want this to be a big highlight for students when they come in the room, that there's going to be music that is not necessarily music that we're going to perform or read, but music that gives that understanding of, hey, here's music from another culture, and here's some things that we can compare it to music that we're doing in the classroom. Uh, so, you know, it was it's a clean slate year for me as far as I'm concerned. Um, so I do do a musician of the day, but I also bring it in in other ways, trying to tie that idea of other music to classroom music or, you know, world music. So the term world music, Let's talk about how all music is world music. Right, right. And um, we'll get more into that. But so it really is a matter of priorities. Um, well, I can really I ask you a, a blunt question then. Sure. Because especially those of us who have had Kodai training and, and we're thinking about our sequence and our traditional curriculum, do you feel like because you've made those intentional choices to spend more time doing musician of the day and more active listening of music from different cultures and less about the literacy in general, I mean, do you feel like your students, I don't want to say behind because, you know, we hate that word right now, but um, do you? Do you feel like your curriculum is moving at a slower pace? Have you, 
Are you doing less song literature for each concept? Are the concepts just being stretched over a longer period of time? What is the impact you're seeing on a traditional sequence then? I think it, I think things are going slower and I wouldn't say that I do equal time of including other music. Plus I just try to weave in. Yeah. For example, um, the song head and shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes is a song that, you know, many young kids already know. And it's a great opening when kids walk into the room. It's a great, here's our first song. Here's our song bouquet. If you want to Susan Brumfield it. Um, But so that's an example of a song that would be school music. Well, one of my favorite bands, Sylvanesso, recorded a song that's called HSKT, which is basically head, shoulders, knees, and toes. And they sing head, shoulders, knees, and toes. And it's very apparent that it's a takeoff of the folk song, head, shoulders, knees, and toes. But it's definitely, it's electronic. It's modern. The kids love it. We do beekeeping to it. So I don't feel like I'm taking a lot of time when I'm doing that with kindergartners or first graders, I'm not taking out time. Let's sit down and listen to this piece of music that is from the 21st century, just, you know, last year or the year before, but it's just part of, oh, hey, look, somebody did something else with this same idea. Uh, So, yeah. Can I also add that um, Snoop Dogg has a version of Head, Shoulders, Knees and Toes? Cool. Snoop Dogg he... has like a kids album called Doggy Land. Oh yeah, I knew that. Yeah, and so I, I, would, not, yeah. I haven't done this with kids yet, but this so... is this is my problem, and and maybe you can relate to Tanya, where like I have my my concept plans and my song list and all this stuff, but what I'm I'm not doing as much of is when I hear these ideas from other people or come across them, I don't take the time to write it down. So then later when I go to sing Head, Shoulders, Knees, and Toes, I might do it the same way that I always do instead of remembering, oh yeah, there's that great Snoop Dogg version of it, right? So it's like being intentional, intentional, excuse me, about planning and writing things down so I don't have to remember all this from a blog post I just read or a Facebook post I just saw like that's well, to me the hard part it's the same process as when we were both going through Kodai levels exactly and we yeah. didn't have all this repertoire in our head right. now we've got to build a new bank of repertoire that connects to stuff we're already doing but anyway right. I think I diverted away from your original question no that um, makes sense yeah I think yes that my sequence is going slower I'll give you a solid concrete example. Of course, this is my first year in this school. And um, so whatever, take that for what it's worth. By the end, let's take second grade. By the end of second grade, my second graders, melodically, they will have so me la. I'm going to try to get to know. It might not happen. Um, They will have ta, tt, rest, half note. I'm going to try to get to ticka ticka. It might not happen. So as far as like purely melodic and rhythmic concepts, that's where we're at now. Because there's things, like I said, about teaching the kids in the room. One thing I've noticed at my current school is that we need more movement, creative movement, but also structured movement that even making a circle and moving a circle is a hot mess from grades K, which we expect all the way to fifth grade. Right. And this is because they don't have that experience. Like I even said to my fifth graders yesterday, I was like, we were doing a, um, a dance where you do appeal the banana move. And I even said, Oh yeah, I got to remember you guys haven't been lejeunized. And that's just my way of saying, you haven't done this. You haven't done it. He's like, you've got to take them from where they at. So now as I've gone through the year, I've been making more room in my lessons for more intentional structured movement, right? Uh-huh. And we know that connects to form and phrase and all these other things. Are they producing? Are they singing and playing and improvising and composing when they're doing that? No, but see, I've made the choice to do less of that and more of, well, we got to get our movement vocabulary, our our skills in that area, especially at, at the point of like fifth grade. Honestly, I want them to feel music a lot more than I think is it, than composed using specific rhythms or improvise using specific rhythms 
and melodies. You know, I've made a choice. So right. pedagogically for in especially fifth grade, if my students can anticipate and feel the form of a piece of music that they haven't heard before, that I think is more valuable right now in fifth grade than for them to name the melodic with solfege or even absolute pitches. That's more important than to name uh, notes on a staff. Right, right. Or to even look at a staff and play the melody exactly how it's written. Yeah. So, yeah. So I have a couple of thoughts. So first, um, yeah, when it comes to choices, I found that COVID was a good time, obviously, for us to reevaluate what was really important. And during that time, I really thought, you know, along these same lines that, you know, I'm not obviously singing is not going to be as big of a thing just because we're not supposed to be as much. I mean, we were not in a position where we couldn't sing, but we were kind of advised to sing less. So that was a great opportunity for me to embrace this idea of less song literature in the way of kids singing traditional folk songs and decoding and analyzing and and literacy skills and more of that, you know, inclusive literature and all that stuff. I will say that I took a different approach at my new school. And it's one of those like, live and learn, we make the choices we make. And now not sure if I'm happy with the choice I made, which was when I came to this school, I really wanted, I felt like I think it was a combination of Now we can do these things again. We have zero COVID restrictions whatsoever in our district and we have from the beginning of school year. So it was like, okay, back to normal. (laughs) And I let some other things go. I will be honest. I'm not doing musician of the day every single day. And I'm not doing as much of those intentional listening and and cultural connections as I was before. And, you know, that, that sounds awful to say, but I just really thought this is my opportunity just to kind of get them back to basics and then once I feel comfortable, then I can start bringing those things back in again. And I'll also say there was fear there, and I'm going to be quite honest and transparent. I was more fearful in my current school community about any sort of parental backlash to any music that I play that might be deemed to have a political agenda. And I know that's not walking the walk as much as I talk the talk, but I'm just being real, real that I knew in the school I could come from, I could, I could go there with kids and I wasn't going to get any flack. I just didn't know coming into the school community. And I was afraid, I was afraid to push it too far. So a combination of things I decided while I'm still doing things, it's not like we don't listen to music of, of, cultures other than our own all the time, that doesn't mean I'm placing as much emphasis as I have in the past few years. And I'm regretting that decision. I really am because I think I've lost that opportunity to connect with the kids in that way. I've connected with my students in many other ways and I'm, I'm happy with the work I've done, you know, pretty much, but that's one area that I know I need to improve on next year. So that's me being real. Yeah, but you know, please don't. Don't don't think badly about this year. I mean, you no, know, I'm not thinking badly. It's just this is where I'm at and this is where I'm going. I, I understand because yeah. I uh, I still have moments within the classroom where, you know, we're we're listening and I look at my watch and I'm like, oh, it's been six minutes. And I think, oh, we, we got to get to active music making. That's what should happen is active music making. And then also on the flip side, I'll have a class that's heavy in active music making. And I'm like, Oh man, we have not done because I don't do musician of the day every day. Most days I do, not every day. So I will have like, oh no, this is the second day in a row where we've just been like singing and playing and you know reading melodic patterns and all of that, and we got to get back to hearing some musician of the day. So yeah, I feel the guilt on both ends. Whenever mm-hmm. I'm doing one, I feel like I should be doing more of the other, and vice versa. But. Yeah. All that to say, um, it's really a matter of what what do you think, as the music teacher in the building, what do you think is most important? And please take into consideration your school population. Exactly. Because this is the thing. You and I are both have had similar new school situations. My school is much more um, the, the classes high above where I came from and thy diversity is way down. I have 
I don't know. I don't know what the percentages are. I have a high percentage of white upper middle class families. Yeah. And this is all back to that idea is that, you know, yes, we want to provide when windows, mirrors, sliding glass doors for these groups of kids, those windows and sliding glass doors are so important because I, I feel like they live in this bubble. They only see people who are so very similar to them. Yeah. You know, not just the color of their skin, but the kind of house they live in, what they wear every day. They need exposure to people who are not like them. Mm-hmm. Like desperately, they need that exposure. And everybody does. But, you know, coming from my last school, you're right. I didn't really worry too much when we did with upper grades get into a little bit politics of this song and i you know of course it crossed my mind but yeah i do flinch um there's been times where we get into i was just talking about northern ireland versus ireland with my students yesterday and i had a second um i mean it's ireland so honestly in the united states I don't think there's going to be a lot of whatever pushback, but whenever it gets a little bit political and I say, well, you know, music exists for all these reasons. And sometimes people use music to make their opinion known and to battle injustice. And yeah, I always have those moments where I'm like, okay, brace yourself. Is there going to be an email coming? Right. Because (sighs) we do hear about parents saying, teachers stay in your lane you shouldn't be getting into politics. Mm -hmm. You're a teacher. Of course, you and I have said many times that if you're teaching, it's political. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just cannot avoid it. And I don't want to be in a bubble. I don't want to give the idea that music exists only to express lovely, happy thoughts. And it's not connected to the real world. It's connected to culture. It's connected to history. There's, There's so much. And this is why music should be an integral part of anyone's education is because it's a mirror of what's going on in society. Yeah. Yeah. But so that's a little bit about the, like my philosophical, my philosophical shift. And I apologize to former students. Sorry, Jordan, I was wrong um, (laughs) about how I get early on, even when I was teaching Kodai levels, I did have this view of, well, they're going to listen to their own music on their own time. And now they're in the music room and let's listen to real high quality music. Well, you know, that's very, I don't know if I uh, believe in upholding one music over another so much anymore. Yeah. Because all music leads to more music. If you're enthusiastic about, you know, something that um, I would consider like, I don't know, like not stuff I would listen to. It can lead you to other music. So I celebrate any music that kids are into. It just leads to more music. 100%. Yeah. All right. So can we talk about specific things? Yeah, let's uh, talk about some practical things. So yeah, I think there's kind of two routes to go with this. Um, One route is definitely to just reconsider the repertoire and the, the way that you introduce, you know, those traditional concepts of your sequence, but with different repertoire and with different experiences. So like, for example, when teaching the rhythmic element, Tom T dotted quarter note, eighth note, um, I have started to use the song We Shall Overcome as like a late practice reading exercise because it has that Tom Tita in come. And well, you know, some Kodai practitioners would say, well, that's not a good example because it's a it's a slurred, you know, rhythm or whatever. Um, you know, it's still it's late practice. And again, it's just one little moment where we read the song, you know, with with rhythms, but we don't spend as much time on reading the song as we do on singing the verses, learning the history of the song. I show my kids this great YouTube video that shows them the the history and the lineage of the song, where it's come from and how it's, you know, impacted people throughout time. I show them a version of Pete Seeger singing the song, and then I show them a version of John Legend singing the song, and we compare the two performances. And anyways, so that's an example of how, yes, I'm still tying into my curriculum, but the importance on the, the literacy piece 
piece is not as important as the historical piece and the cultural piece. And do they sing it? Do you sing it in the classroom as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we sing it. I usually just kind of strum on the ukulele while they sing it. Um, and we learn all the verses. And yeah, we learn it's it's historical context. And I had one, you know, fourth grade girl come up to me after we sang it. And we did this right around Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So, you know, it tied into that time of year as well. But, um, you know, she said, well, I, can you just post some of this stuff in our in our Google Classroom so I can listen to it on my own? And it's like, that's that moment when you go like, oh, yeah, okay, this is, this is striking a chord with her. And, exactly. you know, I hope it is with more students. But <laughs> anyways, that's just a small example of, again, I'm not like stuck stopping my traditional Kodai curriculum to do something completely different. It's woven together, but I made the intentional choice to focus on that song versus some other song that I could have right. done, right? And and we've been using classical examples forever and a day, right? Yeah. If you look on in any pedagogical music teaching, general music book, they'll give you, oh, you're doing rest, we'll use Beethoven's movement to from the seventh symphony, right? Mm -hmm. To emphasize that. So it's just the same thing with different music. Um, you were just talking about rhythm for We Shall Overcome. Yeah. And earlier this year, when we were working on Tita T, um, and we sing Hill and Gully Rider, Hill and Gully, which is actu actually a Jamaican folk song. Mm -hmm. This is a perfect time where I can pull up and it's on YouTube. Uh, the recording of Yellow Man singing Helen Gully Writer. He was a Jamaican musician and DJ popular starting in the 1980s. So there's that recording where you definitely can hear that it's Hill and Gully, but it's so different. And the first time I play it, or the first time I played it, um, kids were like, is, is he even, is he saying, speaking in English? He's not singing in English, right? And so it's worth repeated listening. And this is just like, hey, this is a song that somebody recorded. Actually, a lot of people have recorded. Um, and then we can also take that hill and gully onto the orf instruments. It's super easy. Just play that on an open fifth. So we. I also want to emphasize that it's not just the listening, but like you had your students sing, We Shall Overcome. We can play along with hill and gully. That it's also being able to participate in the music game. Um, yeah. And I wrote this down, so I need to read it. Uh, musicking, a term coined by Christopher Small. Uh, while this term, oh, and I'm reading actually, I'm taking this from World Music Pedagogy Volume 2 by Amy Beagle and Christopher Roberts. Uh, while this term incorporates active ventures into sound creation, it also includes the more introspective inspiring and imaginative process of listening. So we are active music making, we are listening, but we are also like getting into these specific pieces of music. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actively yeah. analyzing and all of Active, that. Yeah, yes. discussing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's really fun to find recordings, you know, both authentic, you know, older recordings of folk music, but also newer recordings of songs as well. So like for a, an example we talk about is the Fox, the folk song, the Fox, and right. then how fun that Nickel Creek recording is of the Fox, you know, here's something from the last, you know, 15 years versus, you know, an old scratchy record that you might listen to off you know, Smithsonian Folksways, which is also sure. great. Like, they're both great. That's the point, you know, like find the historical listenings and find the more modern listenings because it's going to appeal to kids in different ways. Right. Yeah. And and that's something that I need to work on more. I'm pretty good with um, late 20th century and maybe even early 21st century music, but stuff that came out in the last two, three, four or five years, I really need to do my homework more on that. Yeah, um, me too. And something that, you know, I change a lot of things like right before my lesson, depending on something that might happen in culture. For example, when Beyonce was awarded her latest Grammys, she became the greatest Grammy winner of all time with the most Grammys. So that was a time where that night I was like, oh, Beyonce is our musician of the day tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I didn't make any kind of fantastic play along with Love on Top, but we did watch a Beyonce performance 
Um, I think it was a video music award performance where she sings love on top, which Mm -hmm. was just fantastic. But, you know, cultural events can also be an opportunity to bring in very recent music. You found that fantastic Tiny Desk concert with Daka Braka from the Ukraine. Right. From Ukraine. Um, Last year? Last year? Yeah, that was that was last year. Yeah. And I know your students and my students just loved it. And it was Mm -hmm. that same thing. I had kids coming up and saying, Mrs. June, can you write that down so I can go listen to that at home? Mm -hmm. Um, and wow, what a great way to show, hey, here's something you've been heard, you've been hearing about Ukraine in the news. It's on our minds. Here's a group um from the Ukraine. From Ukraine, yeah. excuse me, I keep saying yeah. it wrong. Right. Yeah, yeah. Finding current events, political things that are going on, you know, again, not to to sway kids to be political one way or the other, but just to understand how music is tied to politics and how music is tied to current events. And obviously, you have to know, you know, what's age appropriate for your kids. You're not just going to go rolling in with telling kindergartners all about, you know, <laughs> the devastation of Ukraine tomorrow, yeah. you know, but older kids can handle it. And older kids want to know about these things so yes you know use use caution but also don't be afraid which is what i'm trying to remind myself as well yes. you know and then there are just fun simple ways to just include more you know modern popular music into your classroom as well so an example i know i've mentioned before is like if you're gonna do like a a flashcard thing with your kids just having them read flashcards you can take a popular song that has a a good tempo and find the you know karaoke or instrumental version of it and have them read along to that so like i've done blinding lights by the weekend i found a, a karaoke version of it on spotify and it's a good tempo for reading ticka ticka rhythms So I've had students read along and it's like just changing from just reading to nothing or reading to a, you know, just a a generic beat to reading to a background of a song they know. All of a sudden it was like a a cool, new, fun activity, right? So just finding those little small ways to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I have an example of that too, but it's not reading rhythm flashcards, just um, playing along in the moment. So I was doing Alicia Keys as the music, musician of the day. And one of my students was like, oh, can we play drums along um, with the underdog, which is the song that we were listening to. And so I said, you know what? We can do that. Last five minutes of class, we just got out the drums. It was really easy. And I just called out rhythms to play. Like first yeah. we were playing a steady beat. All right, now play ti-ti-ta, ti-ti-ta. And they had a blast. And it was just one of those things that we were able to do in the last bit of class to this song that I didn't know that they loved this song. Turns out they do. And we were able to like make it relevant to, hey, we've got drums. Let's play along. That's great. Yeah. Um, oh, another, I know I'm a dork because this is a very old song. I don't care. Uh, the band Chic which they're a disco funk band from way back in the seventies. The song good times, which you might recognize uh, works so well on recorder for A's and B's when we play good times. These are those good times. A, 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 B. And the kids love this song. Some of them have heard it. Some of them have it. It doesn't matter. It's just a fun like conclusion to our lesson or even a warm up where we're just practicing our A's and B's and playing along with Sheik's good times. Um, Also, I recently figured out another one bites the dust on recorder, (laughs) which is a little challenging for new recorder players. And um, which pitches are you using for that? I'm trying to. Okay. Well, here's what I discovered. Yeah. We're going to get into it. Uh, Okay. So I play it in the key of E major, right? And if you listen, you you can find live versions of Queen playing it in E major, right? However, if you listen to the original recording, the original studio recording on the album, it's in F. Uh, That's not working, right? uh So I had to get the live version going in order to play um, A-G-E. E, e, I, I'm sorry. I'm not absolute pitching and I'm sorry if, no, you're, if fine. you're perfect pitch. <laughs> um, I could get out my tuning fork, but it's not happening. Anyway, so 
it hangs around E if you're playing it in the key of E major. So E-E-E-E-E-G-E-A? Yeah. Okay, got it, got it, got it. So like I said, though, if you do the studio version, maybe you can be fancy and like bring it up. Change the pitch. Yeah, if you want to go into, what is it, audacity or something and bring it up, you could do that. But this is exactly what we were saying earlier. Like this took you doing a little bit of research and homework and preparation. Yeah, as me way that we analyze yeah. the same way, but the same way that we analyzed our folk music in Kodai preparation, you know, programs in the summer, same way we look for those teachable patterns and those pedagogical uses. We need to be doing the same thing with all musics, not right. just, you know, traditional folk music. Yeah. And um what a better experience for students to do that than I'm sorry, play along with some of those dorky contrived recorder songs in recorder method books that are written for the same purpose of just practicing a few different pitches in in repetitive patterns or sometimes not even repetitive patterns. But the point being, what a what a valid experience for the kids, more fun, more engaging, I would imagine. And and music that that's bringing in a different time period, a different genre, or maybe even something they are familiar with, fine. If they know Queen, then that's great too, right? But just better than let's play this bag of whatever song from this method book. I mean, I'm sorry, like, and I've done it and it's fine, but how much better it is it when they're playing along with quote unquote real music, right? Yeah. Not yeah, school next- made up contrived music. Exactly. And I honestly, I get a kick out of going down a rabbit hole like I did a few weeks ago with the recorder and going, okay, let me look up pop songs, rock songs that are in the key of G. How, what can I bring the recorder? How, how can I like find something that we can play on the recorder? Right. And I'm sure there's people, well, I know there's people who have done this much better than I, but I, I find it enjoyable to like look for that stuff yeah it takes it takes some time but well and while i i'm not a huge like i like pop music to a point i'm not a huge pop music fan myself like especially now pop music but my kids my personal kids will ask me to turn on like the pop music radio station when we're driving around and honestly what i am constantly doing while i'm listening to this music is looking for little hooks and listening for little rhythmic and melodic things that i can do in my classroom yeah so it's like if you can get yourself and i mean you the collective you not just you tanya if we can all get ourselves listening to you know the, the music the kids are listening to today, but listening with that analytic ear and trying to pull out what are one of those rhythmic or melodic concepts that we can pull out. I think we can come up with a lot of stuff we can do in our yes. class. Yeah. And there are people who have done this work. And oh, of uh, course, like oh my Rita always. I was going to say Rita. Yeah. And, yes. She has done some fantastic oh, sessions yeah. at Oak, Oak oh, where yeah. she really brings in here we are exploring our musical concepts through like really recent pop tunes she sure. was doing um I, I can't even like oh she she did a watermelon sugar thing that was fun. yeah although yeah. I'm not sure if I would bring that song into well, my students but maybe older kids <laughs> yeah and that's the, that's another thing to be aware of too is because we want to make sure like I can play um, Truth Hurts by Lizzo on, I, I've had my whole family play. One of us is on the piano, really easy piano part uh-huh. on the ukulele, on the drums. And I had the thought several times like, oh man, I so want to play this in the classroom. I can't do that. Right. Um, it's just, even if we bleep out language, it's just not... Yeah, it's there's not the school tones of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But there's and, plenty out there. I mean, and I, I say this because I've heard and I've said it myself, and I've heard many people use that as an excuse to not even touch modern no. popular music and not even go there because none of it's going to be appropriate. And that's just simply not true. You that, just that you have to, to go out of that stereotype brain that all hip hop music has swear words and is about drugs or whatever. It's like, it's not, it's really, truly not. So let's, you just have to, you just have to look, you have to know where yeah. to look and you have to, 
you know, follow some breadcrumbs and go down some rabbit holes and get me on. I'm glad you mentioned Tiny Desk because I, since I've started watching Tiny Desk concerts on NPR, I have discovered so much music that I've been able to bring into my classroom. Oh yeah. Um, You know, so that's just, that's a really great entry point for us as music educators, because if it's on Tiny Desk, it's likely going to not have, although there's sometimes there's language in there too. So you do have to be careful, but typically it's not, you know, as, as overt when it comes to sexual things. And then as well as language, we can find lots of things in tiny desk concerts. That we and it's excellent in. stuff to show to your kids, as long as yeah. you preview it first. Exactly. Yeah, and watch it my, first. my students have gotten used to saying, Oh, Hey, it's the tiny desk again. I know. You know? Cause the first <laughs> yeah. time they were like, why are they all crowded together what with all that stuff this? all over the place? Yeah. yeah. Um, so we should also talk about other entry points yeah. uh, into using real, quote, real music uh, tied to history, tied to cultural events, mm-hmm. and even specific months. Now, we have to say, of course, you should be listening and can be listening to Black music, Hispanic music, Asian music from uh, during any month. Right. But like the month of February is an opportunity to pull in more music from black musicians Mm -hmm. and to really focus on black history, black culture. And with any month, we want to make sure that the message is we're celebrating music of these people, not the idea of let's talk about how these people have been kept down over the years. Right. Right. We want to celebrate Black achievement. We want to celebrate Hispanic achievement and those musics, right? March yeah. is Women's uh, History Month, which is kind of funny because, like, I've made a deliberate effort with all of my musicians of the day during February. Um, towards the last half of the month, they've all been women. So <laughs> there we go. Goes, yeah, you can bring it right in. You can bring it right in. Yeah. Yeah, finding just some really excellent quality recordings of lots of different musicians. And again, this this doesn't always have to be tied into those curricular goals. This can be listening for listening sake and for historical sake and for cultural sake and, and tying into things, you know, that they may or may not be learning in the classroom. We've talked about that before that, you know, you might be in a school that really goes out during these month celebrations and you might be in a school where it's not talked about at all. And that could be for a variety of reasons. But, um, you know, also kind of, you know, talking to your classroom teachers and saying, hey, what are you doing for Black History Month? What are you doing for AAPI, you know, month in May? And then um, trying to make those connections yourself. But being prepared to know what the kids already know when they come in is is really helpful because, you know, like we've talked about before, there's times where it's like, hey, did you did you know this Monday's Martin Luther King Jr. Day? And I've had uh-huh. students that are like, they don't really necessarily know that. So, you know, be prepared with a little bit of back backstory, back history as well into why these months are celebrated so you can speak to it. But like you said, not also just limiting to we're going to listen to these musicians this time of year, but all, all times. Exactly. Yeah. I was just listening just yesterday. I was singing to my students. I know I've talked about her, so this is not anything new, but the Rhiannon Giddens and then her book um, for Build a House. Um, oh, yes. So it's this beautiful song that she wrote during during the pandemic and then did a, a beautiful, you know, recording, Zoom recording or whatever with Yo-Yo Ma. And then since then, she's done, you know, more album recordings of this. And then there's this beautiful picture book that goes with it. So I usually sing it to the students first so I can kind of stop and talk. And this this is an example of a book that does show the struggles of, you know, enslaved people and then a little touches on cultural appropriation a little bit. But, you know, it it ends, you know, with with triumph and joy at the end. So, you know, that's a good opportunity to talk about both sides of that coin. But um, anyways, I usually do sing the song a little bit myself first, but then I always immediately give them a recording of her singing it because you need to hear it from her voice. Obviously, that's the power of it. Um, right. but, but the students have loved that song and really appreciated the the book and the history behind it. So um, if you don't already have that book, I'll link to it in the show notes. It's a fantastic book for all times of year, but you know, yes. obviously great for Black History Month specifically. Excellent. Mm-hmm. 
And now it's time for our No Better Do Better segment. Carrie, I know you've got some juicy, juicy stuff. Well, I was just very inspired this last week. So a couple of weeks ago, I talked about an example of an organization who I think is is doing the work um, is the Colorado Children's Corral, which is located here in Denver, Colorado. And they have brought Maria Ellis, otherwise known as Girl Conductor, um, and we'll link to her website so you can see all the amazing work that she is currently doing. Um, they brought her out for a residency. And part of that residency has been working with the, the groups of the Colorado Children's Corral, and she will be conducting a few songs on their concert this weekend. And then also going to schools and and um, if I'm getting this right, I believe that Maria Ellis specifically asked to go to schools that have a larger black or a minority population. And so they, she was able to really work with students that she was passionate about working about with. Um, she talks a lot about representation and how much that mattered to her as, as a child and how much it matters to her now, obviously, being a black female conductor um, and really wanted to spread that message of representation. And what I really wanted to mention today, so I was able to go and observe her at a rehearsal with the Colorado Children's Corral. So thank you you to Emily Cryle for allowing me to do that. And my big takeaway watching Maria Ellis work with that population of kids, which is um, majority white population of kids in the Colorado Children's Corral, is that it wasn't ever a moment of you should not be doing this music and specifically talking about black gospel music. It was very much a this music is for everyone. It can inspire everyone. It should be for everyone. But here's how it should be sung or sung or could be sung from my perspective here's how we sing it in the church she talked about this is how we sing it in church a lot for the kids and that was never ever presented in a way that took away from what their director emily Cryle, had done with them previously and both women spoke to the choir in live and in person about how musicians have different interpretations and when you come at things from different perspectives it's important to do your research but you also learn from different people and i just really appreciated and admired the the synergy between those two women in that way that it was never you know a competition it was never i i am better than you in any way whatsoever Maria Ellis was very respectful of what the students had learned with Ms. Cryle, but said, I'm going to take you in this direction and here's why. So it really brought up this idea of cultural appropriation, which I know sometimes educators, music educators hear that word and or that phrase and think, oh, well, that means I can't do that music. Well, that means I shouldn't do that music. And it's not about what you can't do. It's just about doing the research and the due diligence to ensure that you are not appropriating another culture, but you're truly appreciating that culture and you're teaching your students and your audience what this music is and where it's come from. And if you have the ability to bring in somebody who's more knowledgeable than you, of course, to take that opportunity. But even if you don't have the money or funds to do that, to do your research and do your work to make sure what you're presenting to students is the best it can be. So I was just very inspired. Um, the students, I mean, just hearing their sound just change and not like a huge, ridiculous way, just in a very subtle but powerful way when she broke things down for them and she gave them more, you know, direction on how to, you know, dynamically do this or open your voice here and create bigger vowels here. It's just, it created their sound, but more importantly, it, it was touching their heart in a totally different way. So anyways, thank you to Maria Alice for allowing me to observe you. Thank you to the Children's Corral for leading by that example. Um, it, it was just a really great experience and that's just the kind of work that I'm excited to see happening. So now it is time to work smarter, not harder, and Tanya is going to give us a tip that will make our lives easier. Here's an analog tip. It's not tech. It oh, has to boy. What is Ooh, that? <laughs> I know. It's funny. I don't even know if I can call it analog. Here's a real life, not on computer tip. Uh, xylophones, metallophones, barred instruments. Forever in a day, uh, I have taught... When we're taking off bars, one hand on top, one hand below, lift straight up and away it goes. I don't even give out mallets while we're taking out bars. 
TikTok taken off first because I want them to use two hands so they don't bend the peg, right? That is farthest away from them that is holding in the bar. Okay. Well, I'm in a new school, clean slate. Um, I had heard this or saw this somewhere once upon a time and I thought, oh yeah, that works too. I am having students, I'm training them to take off bars with one hand, but with the farthest from the farthest edge. So as you're looking down, if you're behind a xylophone, if you're looking down and the edge that is furthest away where that peg is, if we just take it, grab it from that edge, we can take it straight off and it doesn't bend up the peg. So I'm really proud of myself for starting this now with kindergartners. Kindergartners did it this last week where they took off bars um, and with all the grades. Cause I'm like, boy, I have just caused myself just stress here and there when I see kids taking off bars with one hand, because of course they're like wrenching it off from the wrong end and bending that little peg. So we're just doing it with one hand and we're making sure we grab from the farthest edge. And it's time for our CODA section because I know, Carrie, everybody wants to know what kind of fantastic thing are you into right now? Wow, that's a dramatic opening. Um, I'm actually going to talk about something for in the music room because sometimes we forget to do that. Um, so I want to give a shout out to a friend of mine, Erin, who has just started a new website, blog, and store for elementary music teachers. And, you know, sometimes Tanya and I, we, we kind of knock the world of online <laughs> materials, even though Tanya has a TBT store, and that's fantastic. I think our point is always just know who you're buying from, know that it's good quality stuff, right? And so here's an example of somebody who is giving some good quality stuff. So Aaron and I have known each other since high school, actually. We played in the same youth orchestra. We went to the same undergrad and have since, you know, parted ways, but we still keep in touch. She is a fabulous elementary music educator. Is she in Colorado? No, she is not. She is in the East Coast. I'm going to say Virginia, but that might be wrong. Sorry. All right. I'm Aaron. sorry. I just saw a picture <laughs> on her website. Oh, of her. she visits Colorado all the time. So that is um, good. You know, yeah. I'm just state centric. I'm like, hey, it's Colorado. It is Colorado. No, she oh, does good. come to Colorado quite often with her family. So, anyways, Erin is a fantastic music educator. She is Kodai certified or ORF certified. She studied in Hungary and she just really has the goods. So she has a really great website. I mean, it's, it's new, so she's still adding to it, but it is erinsmusicroom.com. We'll link to it in the show notes. She has some really great products. If you're looking for some things for subtubs or, you know, just things for your room, um, they're all right there on her website and she has a few blog posts and I just love the way that she writes. So anyways, I just highly, if you're just looking for another great teacher to follow, I highly suggest you check out erinsmusicroom.com. And hi, Erin, if you're listening. Cool. All right. Tanya, how about you? I'm not going to talk about music room related stuff. That's great. Sometimes <laughs> I like to pretend I have a life outside the classroom. Um, and what do I do with that life? Watch TV. No, I read some too. But uh, yeah, I'm a huge Natasha Leoten fan, like everybody should be. Um, <laughs> the show Russian Doll is like one of my very most favorite things from the last five or so years. And Natasha Leone has a new-ish show called Poker Face. It's very much Columbo for the 21st century. And she plays um, not a detective, just a regular Joe Schmo or josephina schmo uh just a, a regular person who actually is on the run and you'll see why in the first episode but she has an ability that she can tell when someone is not telling the truth and this doesn't make the show all about like oh i can always tell when someone's lying but it does help her and come up quite a bit it, it's a very engaging show um if you're a Gen Xer like me and you grew up on Columbo or if you grew up in any of those mystery um, shows, Murder, She Wrote, Monk, any of those things, you would probably appreciate this. The opening credits are very 1970s, 
down to the Roman numeral year at the bottom and the credits that roll up at the very beginning, even the color of the font. It's just, it's very, they, they know their market. It's mm-hmm. me. Anyway, so Natasha Leone, Poker Face, um, a lot of excellent guest stars, so much fun. There's a mystery going on each time and uh, it's just fantastic. Yeah, it's a good show. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Our show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. And we always appreciate folks buying us a coffee, so look for that link on our show notes and on our Facebook page. And just a heads up, while we do try to keep an every other week podcasting schedule, due to the O Conference, our next episode will be three weeks out, scheduled to drop around March 26th, give or take a day. Uh, in the meantime, if you're missing us, we'll be sharing videos and posts while we're attending the O Conference, so be sure you are following us on our socials to see what we're up to at the conference. Or if you're attending the conference, be sure to say hello to us live and in person. We'd love to connect with you there. So until next time, this is Carrie. And this is Tanya wishing you happy musicking.